Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. I hope you're doing well. I'm trying to remember to breathe. This is a rough time of year for me normally. So this year, well, 2020, right? So I hope you're remembering to breathe too, and hopefully today's comedy will be a nice respite from this crazy world and crazy year. <laughs> today's play is Plautus's Stikus. It premiered around 200 BCE, and pol political turmoil in Rome at that time may be reflected in how Plautus adapted his Greek source material, um, assuming that it is written by Plautus. Uh, I'm using... Um, I'm using the Henry Thomas Riley translation from 1912 that I've used for some of the other Plautus plays. Um, and Riley does note that there are some scholars who think that this play is by someone else. Um, like all of these ancient plays, we're pretty sure who wrote most of them, but you know, not always. Um, it is generally attributed to Plautus though. So we're calling it a work by Plautus. Um, the thing that I, Oh, I find so frustrating about this uh, Riley translation um, is, is he doesn't provide cast lists for any of these plays. Um, he just gives a little introduction and and then starts the play and um, and, and as an actor that just is, is annoying that I can't see a dramatis personae at the at the top of the play. But um, yeah, so. I will give you a list of characters and it will probably be incomplete because, uh, yeah, I did not make a note of who everybody is as I was reading. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, Stikos, the play, is set in Athens. Our primary characters are Philomena and Pamphila, and they are the daughters of Antipho. And they're married to brothers, Epignomus and Pamphilus. Um, Pamphila is actually a name that's given to an unnamed character, um, which is why she and her husband have effectively the same name. Um, so, you know, Pamphila is married to Pamphilus. It's just the masculine and the neg and the feminine of, of the same, same name. Um, there is a parasite named Galazimus, um, and that's a stock character that I will talk more about later in this episode. And then um, we have our title character, Stikus, um, a slave. Um, and some more characters that, yeah, we'll, you'll get their names as we come to them. Um, in th There's no background to the plot that's not provided within the play. Um, so this is where I will leave our introduction and we'll take a little break before going through the plot such as it is. Philomena and Pamphila enter. They are sisters, um, as I noted before, and they speak about their current circumstances. They've married brothers, and those brothers have gone off to seek their fortune. But they've been gone for a long time, and their father thinks that they should get divorced. Um, but the sisters vow to stay true to their husbands. 
Antifo enters, and what the two women discussed in the prologue is then played out in conversation with their father. The sisters make a show of telling Antifo that they will submit to his will, and he exits. And then Philomena sends one of her servants to fetch Galazimus. As a parasite, he'll do favors in exchange for food. Um, And Philomena plans to send him to seek news of the missing husbands, since the two women exit into their own homes. Galazimus enters and speaks in pages about what it means to be a parasite, and I'll go into more detail on that in the analysis section of this episode. So he gives his whole backstory, his whole history. Um, it's a little bit, <laughs> I just thought of this, it's a little bit Javert, you know, I was born inside of jail, sort of, you know, my mother was, anyway. so yeah, he, pages, uh, at I've played roles like this. It's a lot of fun when you speak in paragraphs and you highlight your script and you realize that nobody else is getting a chance to speak. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, after he monologues for a while, he and um, the servant, servant, um, Crocotium, um, then speak in dialogue on basically the same topic about what (laughs) it means to be a parasite um, and your role in the world and everything. in that exchange, uh, the one thing that does not happen, um, Crocodium does not explain why why Galazimos has been sent for, and she just exits into the house. Um, Galazimos then sees uh, Pinocchio, another servant, entering, clearly having come from fishing. He's got his fishing rod and his creel and all of that good stuff. Um, and they speak briefly about Pinocchio's catch of eels before Philomena enters. After much verbal sparring, Pinocchio tells Philomena that while he was at the harbor, a ship arrived from Asia and he saw her husband and his servant, Stikos, our title character, aboard. Pinocchio describes the numerous treasures aboard the ship. Galazimus immediately offers to pitch in with any chores because clearly a rich man has returned to the household. Philomena tells him that she already has enough servants and she and Pinocchio exit into the house. Uh, Galazimus bemoans this state of affairs and exits off stage. Epignomus and Stikus enter. Epignomus gives Stikus the day off, and Stikus announces that he uh, plans to hook up with um, Stephanium, one of the servants in the other brother's household, um, and he's going to have his dinner cooked by Saga- uh, Sagarinus. And um, then he exits into Epignomus's house. Galazimus enters, um, and of course, he kisses up to Epignomus and attempts to weasel his way into the meal, but Epignomus tells him that there simply isn't room at the table, and he exits into his house, and Galazimus again bemoans his plight before exiting again. Antifo and Pomphilus enter, and Antifo tells his son-in-law how relieved he is that the brothers are home. Epignomus enters and is reunited with his brother, and it's all happy. Um, and he tells Pomphilus that dinner is at his, um, which is to say Epignomus's house, that evening. Um, but before he can exit, um, Antifo tells them about this man. Um, and it's crazy how... The, the brothers are just going to be amazed at how similar the story is to real life um, because he had um, he had two daughters just like Antifo and and you're not going to believe this these two daughters married brothers just like Antifo's daughters and and those those brothers like they went away for a couple years um, 
to do a merchant thing and earn their earn their fortune. Um, and and when they came back, one of them brought this <laughs> this singer, and she was kind of cute. Um, and he gave that girl to his father in law, and and then he thought that if you know if one is good then well then two is even better and if two isn't good enough why not four which is such a a charming way to talk about the women your sons-in-law bought as slaves on their travels um it gets worse pumphilus laughs and says that he thinks something like that can be managed because what good is a music girl if not to sing an old man to sleep each night so so yeah that that happens. Um, anyway, he then asks after Galazimos, and um, then he and Epignomos decide to have some sport with the parasite. And right on cue, that character, of course, enters. Um, and the said sport consists in um, this scene of basically they, they're just they're telling Galazimos that they simply can't invite him to dinner because they have other plans. Um, and that if he's really hungry, he could just go to prison for his meals. And then the brothers exit into their own house, and once again, Galazimus bemoans his life before exiting. Stikos enters, uh, we're back to our title character, and prepares uh, for a feast. Um, he exits briefly to fetch the wine, during which time Sagarinos enters, and then um, the two men speak about the feast that they're going to enjoy, and Stephanium enters from Epignomos's house. Um, she does pause to explain to the audience that she really lives in the other house, but she was helping with the dinner party in that house, and, and now she's come to check on her friends and the party they're having. And so Sagarino, Stikos, and Stefanium enjoy their meal. And it is, it's a regular satire of a proper Roman feast. Um, a piper joins them in the drinking before providing the music. And the three servants get properly drunk and dance around the stage before dancing off. Um, at, at which point Stikos pauses long enough to tell the audience that the play is over, they should applaud, and then they should go home to their own feasts. And, and yes, that's where, <laughs> that's where the play ends. It's a little, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll take a quick break first. <laughs> This one is odd. <laughs> In his introduction, Riley even states that the plot is, I quote, extremely meager. <laughs> there are parts of the servant plot lines that remind me a little bit of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, but nothing that happens in Stikus is as fleshed out as that later play. I mean, why is this play even named after Stikus, other than the fact that he ends the play? I mean, it. it there are three plot lines, basically, and they are only vaguely connected. I mean, there's the story about the sisters and their husbands. There's the story about um, the parasite. And then there's the story about the servants. And, and I mean, the only way that they're connected at all is that um, some people work for other people. Well, not work for other people, are owned by other people. It's not like they're servants. They're they're slaves. This is this is ancient Greece and Rome we're talking about here, right? Um I mean, so it it feels like there are three separate plays and they've been smushed together to make one play. Um there just isn't 
there isn't much through line to it. There's nothing that continues from beginning to end that weaves all of these plots together. It's just there's this play happens and and then this one and then that one, but they're all put together in, in one play called Stikos. And I mean, so each story is, is almost completely wrapped up before the next one really gets going. Um, it... Uh, whatever it is, it's it is just not Plautus's best work. It's yeah, but it does give us a good example of a stock character that I haven't talked about yet. So today's stock character is the parasite, and this is a particularly Roman character. Um, you may be aware of the Roman Republic at the very least of those words going together as a form of form of government, right? Um, and it was it was a representative form of government and um, worked um, worked in reality on a patron client relationship, uh, very much a you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours sort of deal. Um, but of course, Plautus's comedies are set in Greece, not Rome, so there is no Roman Republic in the setting of the plays. Um, just to go back a little bit on this government and history thing in Athens, um, which when we speak of democracy in Greece, we're speaking specifically of Athens. That is where democracy existed. Um, And it was direct democracy that um, if you wanted your voice heard, you didn't vote for someone to represent you in the assembly. You showed up at the assembly and you voted yourself on on things. And in, in Rome, it was more similar to what we call democracy today in many countries in which it's a representative form of government. Um, And that's, really that difference between the Roman Republic and Athenian democracy. Um, plus also, again, this patron-client relationship thing that that the structure that grew in, in Rome. Um, so again, because the comedies are set in Greece, um, there isn't a Roman Republic in, in Greece. There's Greece in Greece and there are kings and maybe an Athenian democracy if you're in Athens, but it's not, it's not the same Roman government. Um, so you you know you're not voting the you're not exchanging votes for favors like you would in a patron client relationship in in Rome um so so instead of exchanging votes for favors the parasite does favors in exchange for food um the parasite is the client in this relationship um and and what what he gets out of it is is food um and so characters such as um, Galazimus provide a commentary on Roman society. In Rome, he would be a fully enfranchised citizen. Um, he would be a client helping to keep his patron in office. Because if, as long as your patron is in office, that means whatever laws are enacted will support you. Um, hmm, can't imagine. Do we ever see this in modern government today? Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is election season here in the U.S. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> anyway, um, so, you know, he, that's what he would be. But, but at the same time, he's, he's like a slave because he is still fully dependent on his patrons for his meals. Um, and so in some ways, and we do see this a little bit in, in that part where, where the brothers make sport of Galazimos, um, he does not have as much security as the slaves in this play have. Um, 
he has no guarantee that his patrons will keep up their end of the relationship. If you own a slave, it is in your best interest to feed the slave because you want them to keep working for you. But the parasite's just doing you a favor. So you have no reason to say, oh, yeah, here's the food so that you don't die while living in my house. So there's no, it, it, so it, it it's, in some ways, he has higher status than a slave because he is not enslaved, but he does not have the security of knowing where his next meal is coming from the way a slave might. Um, and again, this speaks to Roman society. Um, so it's another one of those instances where we have these these plays that are set in Greece, but they are still very, very Roman in nature. Um Given the thin nature of this play, as I noted, the plot is, it, it, that's, it's, it is, just, it's weird. It's not a very good play. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, I do have a few discussion prompts over on the blog. Um, not as many as some of the other works that, that uh, we've covered because it, it's hard to even know what to talk about with, <laughs> with Stikos. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on the plot and and the stock character of the parasite and and anything else that this play made you think of. You know, when you were reading it, what what are some other modern plays that it reminded you of? Like I said, it made me think of a little bit of Twelfth Night. Um, the link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will go through book three of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.